The following message was recorded live at Three Strands Church. We hope it will bless you, encourage you, and challenge you in your journey of faith. We'd love to pray for you or answer any questions you have. You can message us at threestrands.church/contact. So this morning we're talking about getting attacked. I don't know if you've ever been attacked like those two were, but um, this is a different kind of attack on a whole different level. What we're talking about today, all right? And so I don't know about you, but I guess we kind of—if you're on the inside—you kind of see some things in our church. But there are times around here when it feels like Satan is just frequently attacking people in our church. You ever felt like that? I mean, right after they decide to begin following Jesus, or maybe they decide to join a serving team, or right before they decide to get baptized, or uh, after some huge victory, it seems like Satan just tries to pick them off and attacks them. I know in our guys group text message uh, that we have, there are seasons where it seems like Satan is just relentlessly attacking our thoughts, our feelings, our marriages, and our relationships. And the truth is that we all hurt. We all feel under attack at, at times. We all go through difficult seasons of life. We all experience hard times. And so I thought it would be wise for us to walk alongside a few people in the scriptures who also experienced hard times and were, at, were attacked and allow God to teach us about how to respond when we're hurting. So that's kind of what this series is about. Uh, because even though God is loving on us, sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Sometimes love doesn't feel like it should, right? And so I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand this morning, but just let me throw out a few re uh, rhetorical questions here, okay? Talking about hurt. How many of you, again, don't have to raise your hand, please don't, but how many of you have had a death in your family this past year? Or, or how many of you have had some sort of physical problem that's causing you pain and it's really limiting you? Some of you may be uh, facing a surgery soon, or, or how many of you know someone who is going through right now or has gone through a divorce in the past few years? Is anyone in your family rebelling from God spiritually? Some of you have lost jobs and some of you have been ridiculed for your faith when all you've tried to do is to treat people fairly. And there's financial stress, there's emotional pressure. I mean, there's just all kinds of things going on in your life and maybe you feel all alone. You know, I'm reminded every time we get up to preach here that there are broken hearts in every row. It's just the facts. Every time. And so I know before I get up here, I always pray, God, please give me passion to teach your word and compassion for the people who are going to be hearing it. Because there's broken hearts in every single row. We realize that. Psalm 88.3 says this, For my life is full of troubles, and death draws near. That scripture will be up on the screen in about an hour. But it says, For my life is full of troubles, and death draws near okay so listen for the next three weeks we're going to look at three people in the scriptures all right three bible stories dave as he so eloquently described this series um three people and we're going to seek comfort from those who hurt because listen you and i as believers we're not exempt from pain are we 
But we have Jesus who will help us get through to the other side. I don't know if you like Southern gospel music, but it reminds me of an old Jason Crabb song that's entitled Through the Fire. And the chorus says, he never promised that the cross wouldn't get heavy and that the hill wouldn't be hard to climb. He never offered our victories without fighting, but he said help would always come in time. And so just remember when you're standing in the valley of decision and the adversary says give in, just hold on. Hold on. Our Lord will show up and he will take you through the fire again. Love that song. Jesus himself said it in John 16, 33. He said, listen, I've told you all this so that you can have peace in me. Here on earth, what? You're going to have many trials and sorrow, but take heart. Don't give up. Because I've already overcome the world. So, whereas another Christian song I was thinking about this week, uh, it's called Sometimes He Calms the Storm. And the lyrics in that one, the chorus says, Sometimes He calms the storm with a whispered, peace be still. He can settle any sea, but it doesn't mean He will. Sometimes He holds us close and lets the wind and waves go wild. Sometimes He calms the storm. But other times, he just calms his child. A lot of truth in those lyrics. Guys, listen, it's my prayer that during this series, we will simply learn to trust God to walk with us through the fires of life and just simply calm us down when we hurt. That that, that the trials in life that we go through will ultimately push us toward, just push us toward our loving Heavenly Father. You got to believe it. When we get into the story today, you're going to think, man, God's not too loving. Just just believe that he's a loving heavenly father, and that's a good thing. Because the truth is that sometimes love doesn't feel like we think that it should feel, but it's still God loving on us. And so the three people's stories in the Bible we're going to look at these three weeks, uh, they uh, they were suffering for different reasons. And the one we're going to look at today, um, Job he was suffering because he was attacked by Satan. And so I read a quote this morning that said this, Scripture should be the pool you dive into, not the diving board you leap from. And so we're going to look at a lot of Scripture this morning, and I want you to keep that in mind. We're going to dive into the Scriptures, okay? It should be the pool we land on, not the diving board we leap from. And so we're going to go through this story, and then at the very end, I want to pull out four applications from the story, four take-home lessons that you can walk out the door and take to work with you tomorrow morning. So the first thing is this. Let's jump in. The first thing I want us to see is Job's character. I don't know if any of you know about Job, have read through that book or know his story. You hear people say, you know, so-and-so's got the patience of Job, or when somebody's talking about suffering, they talk about Job. But the first thing I want us to look at is his character. The first thing the Bible tells us is that Job was a blameless man. Your translation may say a righteous man. So look at it in the first chapter, first verse of the first chapter. And it says this. There was once a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless. He was a man of complete integrity. He feared God and he stayed away from evil. Sound like a pretty good guy? Listen, Job is a man who's about to suffer as we're going to see. But listen, it was not as a punishment for sin. The Bible says he was blameless. And this is important because usually the first question you and I ask when we heard is what? Why me? Right? I mean, why me? What have I done? 
Listen, Job hadn't done anything deserving of what he was about to endure. Nothing. The second thing I've noticed that reading through this is Job was also rich. Look at verse 2. It said he had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels. So obviously he was in the Uber business, okay, back then in those days. Uh, just kidding. 500 teams of oxen and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, here it tells us, the richest person in the entire area. Job's sons would take turns preparing feasts in their homes, and they would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them. So this sounds like a tight-knit group of siblings here. When these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, Job would purify his children. He would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering for each of them. For Job said to himself, Perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. And this was Job's regular practice. So guys, Job was righteous. And it shows here because he didn't just care about himself, but he also cared for his children. He was concerned. He was worried that maybe when they were celebrating that they had sinned. And so he prayed for them and he offered sacrifices for them. So we know he's blameless. We know he's rich. The third thing we notice here is that we also see that Job was a respected man. In Job 29, when he reflects on what he once um, had, he says this in verse 7. He said, those were the days when I went to the city gate and I took my place among the honored leaders. The young stepped aside when they saw me and even the aged rose in respect at my coming. So he was a respected man. He, he was also a very powerful, influential man when we take all this into consideration. Back in 1981, uh, there was a book out about a preacher in Denver, Colorado that was called The Man Who Could Do No Wrong. That was the title of it. Everything went right for this guy until one day he got mixed up in a shady, illegal financial deal, and then everything just came crashing down in his life. His life did a 180. 180 turn, and he lost everything. And you know, for a season, Job was a man who could do no wrong. But, but then there was this 180 turn, a change of events, because he was attacked by Satan. So look at verse 6 of chapter 1 as the story begins, and it says, One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord. And here he is. The accuser, Satan, came with them. Now listen, Satan is a fallen angel, okay? Most of you read through the Bible, you kind of understand that. He, he was kicked out of heaven evidently because of his pride and his rebellion against God. But God allowed Satan to come back into his presence. Isn't that interesting? I mean, it's kind of like on, on a much smaller scale. Let's say a student in school who gets expelled and then who asks permission to kind of come back and speak with the principal. Look at verse 7. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. You know, we, we tend to think of Satan constantly being in hell, but he's not. Hell is being prepared for the devil and for his angels, the Bible says, but, but he's not there right now. Did you notice that? Satan is the prince of this world, and he's roaming the earth, seeking who he can destroy, who he can devour. And you know, when we look around our world and we look at modern day events, 
You know, the breakdown of the family, suicide rates through the roof, just the moral decay around us. Don't we see that Satan is just wreaking havoc and causing lots and lots of destruction? Don't you see it? Look at verse 8. Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and he stays away from evil. So God uses Job as an example of righteousness here. Now listen, I love the Lord, okay? And I'm not blameless and righteous as Job was, okay? But I have no desire for him to ask Satan if he has noticed me. Do you? You know, it's like, hey, if you notice my servant Allison here, she's pretty solid. Why don't you just rip her life apart? You know, I don't want any part of that. Stay away, okay? But listen to me. There's no mountaintop without the valley. Have you noticed that? There's no miracle without a circumstance that requires a miracle. Ever thought about that? And we're going to see at the end of the story kind of how God brings all this back full circle and blesses Job. Look at verse 9. Satan replied to the Lord, yes, but Job has a good reason to fear God, he said, because you've always put a wall of protection around him. You've babied him. You know, his home you've protected, his property you've protected. You have made him prosper in everything he does. I mean, look how rich he is, God. Look what you've done for him. Satan kind of says, right? I want you to remember what it said there. Satan is called throughout the scriptures, the accuser. And here he is accusing, right? He's the fault finder. And here he is saying, no wonder Job's such a good guy. You pay him handsomely, God. I mean, you put a wall of protection around him so everything just goes smooth for old Job. Verse 11. But reach out and take it away. Take away everything he has. And he will surely curse you to your face. God said, all right, you may test him. The Lord said to Satan, do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. And so Satan left the Lord's presence. Guys, we're talking about this morning being attacked from Satan. But let's keep in mind that nothing touches us without first the nod of God. Satan can attack us only with God's permission. But remember, Satan is not equal to God. Satan is not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. Satan is not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at the same time like God is. Satan is not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. But he is an evil-minded, very powerful enemy. And the scriptures introduce him in Genesis by saying in chapter 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He's crafty. Paul called him a schemer. And we're encouraged not to be unaware of the devil's schemes. He masquerades, he parades around as an angel of light. Jesus called him a liar, a murderer, and a thief who comes only to steal to kill, and to destroy. But God does restrict his power, and he allows him to roam around the earth like a roaring lion. Have you ever wondered why? Why? I mean, why does God allow him any room at all? I mean, it's kind of like the elementary school class who was touring the FBI building one time, 
And the God showed him the pictures of, of the ten most wanted criminals and said, now these people are very dangerous and we want to capture them and we want to, we want to put them in prison. And one little girl just raised her hand and she said, well, if they're so dangerous, then why didn't you just keep them when you took their picture? Right? I don't get it, you know? But listen, the truth is that we have all saved up several questions like this for God. And we're going to be able to ask them one day when we get to heaven. You know, if Satan's so dangerous, if Satan is so powerful, then why doesn't God just throw him into hell right now? I mean, why let him run free and devour people? And guys, listen, I'll just be honest with you. To God, I know that's a simple question with a really simple answer. But I don't know. I don't have that answer right now. But the scripture is clear that even though Satan does have power, that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. God promises that. And so Satan launches this series of vicious attacks on Job. He stole Job's wealth. Look at verse 13. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabians raided us. They stole all the animals and killed all the farmhands. I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. He said, the fire of God. Let's just stop right there. Isn't it interesting that when there's some horrendous act of nature, tornado, a lightning strike, that people say it's an act of God? But in this case, it seems that Satan is in some sense causing this fire. But it says, the fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds. I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. Can you imagine? Just bam, bam, bam. This was devastating news for Job financially. I mean, they didn't have insurance back then. He couldn't call State Farm and take care of all this. He's all of a sudden broke. I mean, he's lost everything. You know, I've heard of people that when the stock market crashed, who'd lost uh, $4 million in one day, going from $3 million net worth to $1 million in debt in just one day. That would have been similar to what happened to Job here. He lost it all. But guess what? Then it gets worse. Gets worse. Look at verse 18. While I was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home. And suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and it hit the house on all sides, Job. Sorry to tell you, but the house collapsed and all your children are dead. I'm the only one that made it out alive to tell you. Guys, I imagine it doesn't get much worse than that. Ten children, all of them dead. I mean, it's sad enough when we read of a school shooting where multiple children are, are murdered, but imagine if all of those were your own biological children. I mean, this kind of stuff would just rip your heart out. I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's awful. Job had three daughters, seven sons, all gone. It broke his heart. Had to have. But I want you to notice how he responds in verse 20. 
Job heard that news and he stood up and he tore his robe in grief. And then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to what? To worship. And he said this, I came naked from my mother's womb and I'm going to be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord's taken away. But praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Wow. Can you imagine if that were us? Would we respond like that? I mean, you read that and just like, wow. Would I respond like that if I was put in a similar situation? I mean, Job's faith was rock solid. But it wasn't even over yet. Satan wasn't even finished yet. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. One day, the members of the heavenly court came again to present themselves before the Lord. And here he is, the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God, stays away from evil. He has maintained his integrity, even though you urge me to harm him without cause. Blameless. Verse 4, Satan replied to the Lord. All right. Skin for skin. Skin for skin. A man will give up everything he has to save his own life. But you reach out and take away his health. He will surely curse you to your face. Now, let, let's stop here for just a moment. Guys, I want you to understand that Jesus understands our hurts. I mean, he lived and walked among this earth for 33 years. He knew what it was like to experience everything that you and I experience. Everything we have experienced, everything we will experience, he went through himself. But listen, Satan doesn't understand that. He doesn't understand I mean, he doesn't understand here that he had already thrown his best punch, okay? He'd already inflicted his most serious blow. I mean, there's, there's nothing worse that could be done to Job than to kill his kids, right? But Satan thinks that physical pain will do the trick here. Look at verse 6. God said, all right, do with him as you please, but spare his life. I just want to be honest with you this morning, okay? I'm the guy in front, I know, but this bothers me. It bothers me. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I mean, why does, does God not just say to Satan, keep your hands off of him? That's my kid. I'm not giving you permission to lay a finger on him. Why? But Romans 9 Verses 20 and 21 tells us that when we think these things, like I just communicated, it says, who are you? A mere human being to argue with God. Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have a right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to throw garbage into if that's what he chooses to do? I mean, is he not God? J. Vernon McGee once said, if you don't like the world that God made, then go make your own and live in it. Right? If you don't like it, then go make your own if you're that powerful. 
And if we can't do that, then listen, we've got to be satisfied with the one that God has made. And maybe all of this, listen, wasn't for Job's good. Maybe, just think about it, maybe all this was for God's glory. How about that? I mean, all the time, and especially like marriage relationships, I'm not happy, I'm not happy. Maybe it's not for you to be happy. Maybe God's got you in that marriage to make you holy. Maybe this wasn't about Job. Maybe this was for God's glory. And you know, sometimes God puts us in the darkness so that our light will shine for his glory. And have you ever noticed the darker the place is, the brighter your light shines? But our first concern is usually on what's best for me. Because life's about me, right? And we're selfish. We're selfish. Verse 7 of chapter 2. It says, so Satan left the Lord's presence and he struck Job with terrible boils from head to foot. And Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as, as he sat among the ashes. Can you imagine this? I want you to notice now that Satan has caused a robbery now, a lightning storm, a range war, cattle rustling, heartache, death, and physical affliction. And this is important to remember because, guys, many times when bad things happen, the first question that you and I ask is, why is God doing this to me? Why is God punishing me? Listen, what have I done wrong? Isn't that what we ask? But listen, sometimes rather than asking what we've done wrong, Heather and I were talking about this yesterday, sometimes rather than asking what we've done wrong, listen, maybe we should be asking what we've done right. Maybe we should be asking what we've done right. Why is Satan attacking me like this? Maybe it's because you're doing something right. Maybe it's because your marriage is thriving right now and Satan doesn't like it. What are you doing right? Maybe that's it. It was in Job's case. Believe it or not, poor Job had another issue. His wife was bitter. Look at verse 9. His wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job replied, you're talking like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from God and never anything bad? And so with all this going on, it says Job did nothing wrong. Wow. What a response from a godly man. You know, many people I hear when you study this, this passages, they want to attack Job's wife. And they say things like, isn't it odd that Satan went after, you know, Job's wealth and his kids and his health, but not his wife? <laughs> you know, he didn't touch her. wonder why not, you know, and uh, just makes you think. But while she didn't seem to have the faith that her husband did, let's try to be somewhat sympathetic. Okay, I mean, listen, she was grieving over the loss of her 10 children. They, it was her kids, too. They died. She had gone from riches to rags. She had a husband whose health was, had deteriorated quickly, and she had to take care of him. And, and evidently, Job's faith just repulsed her during all of this. She was turned off by it. It, it seemed shallow to her. And you know, grief and suffering in a family can sometimes cause a lot of stress in marriage because people respond in different ways when we hurt, don't we? 
And if not careful, listen, if not careful, when you're hurting, couples can drag each other down when they're hurting, even though that hurt isn't caused by that person. It happens. Some of you have walked through it in your marriage. Then to make matters worse, as if that were possible after all we've seen with Job so far, his friends were just insensitive. They were jerks. Look at verse 11. It says, when three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he'd suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Their names were, now listen, when you're reading through the Bible and you get to stuff like this, you're never wrong, okay? You can pronounce it however you want. It's all good. So here we go, right? Their names were Eliphaz, the, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the, the yeah, Namathite, okay? When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes, they threw dust into the air over their heads to show their grief. And then they, they sat on the ground with him, listen, for seven days. Seven days they sat there, seven days and nights, no one said a word. They didn't say a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. Guys, it's wonderful that, that he had friends who came to comfort him. And it's probably a good thing that they didn't say a, a whole lot there for a while. Seven days, as a matter of fact. Because, you know, sometimes, listen, it's better not to say anything than to try and act like that we understand when we really don't. Listen, when you're comforting friends that are going through tough times, sometimes your presence is enough. You don't have to say anything. You're, you're just there. But when Job's friends did begin to speak, listen, they gave some terrible advice, man. It was awful. Just awful advice. They just ramble on and on and on for like 30 chapters. And, and they say, Job, you're suffering because you were evil. And, and you've got to confess your sin to God. That's what's going on here. God's causing this because something is wrong in your life. Can you imagine if your three best friends got together when you're going through a tough time and you didn't do anything wrong and they're telling you because you sinned and you need to confess to God how you would feel? Would that not rock your boat just a little bit and shake up your faith? It did for Job. His faith was shaken. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, after these seven days, it says, At last, after his friends had just stared at him for seven days, you know, I would have been like a middle school smart aleck student. I would have been, take a picture, it'll last longer. You know, quit looking at me. Let's, let's talk. I'm sick of the staring. But anyway, after seven days, it says, at last Job spoke. And he cursed the day of his birth. His faith is shaken. He said, let the day of my birth be erased. And the night I was conceived. Let that day be turned to darkness. Let it, be, um, let it be lost even to God on high and let no light shine on it. He was, he was in a bad place. And guys, that sounds nothing like the guy who earlier said, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Doesn't sound like that guy anymore, does it? Now he's saying that he wished he'd never been born. And guys, you, you know our faith during times that we're in trouble it can be like a yo-yo, can it? I mean, we're up and we're down. We believe very strongly at one point, and the next thing you know, we're just really, really struggling. I have a friend who lost his son at an early age, and I just think he's struggled with his faith ever since, and it's been decades ago. It's kind of like the guy who said, you know, I come to church, 
But sometimes I can't sing the songs. They just stick in my throat. Job's faith was shaken. But you know what? God blessed Job through all of this. God was patient with Job. There are about 30 chapters of Job's friends pouring out their counsel, not making a lick of sense. And if you read through that part of the book, it may just kind of put you on edge. You know, I don't envy pastors who preach the funeral of children. I heard about a mother of a seven-year-old boy who had died, and she went up to the minister afterwards, and she said, listen, if words could have helped, you would have helped. There's truth in that. You know, sometimes words just don't help, do they? And all the words in the world from Job's friends didn't help. And then Job himself begins to demand an explanation from God. He said, if I could just have an audience with God, I would challenge him because he's not treating me fairly here. If God would just listen to me, And through all this, God was still patient with Job. But in Job chapter 38, in verse 1, God speaks. Okay? For the first time, you read through this whole book, and it's like, where's God? Finally, he speaks for the first time out of this storm. And here's what he says. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you're going to answer them. Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? I mean, tell me if you know so much. Job, who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? Now listen, guys, God could have lost his temper And he could have came down harder on Job. And he could have said, all right, Job, I've had it with you. You failed the test. Now you're challenging me. You're done. I'm done with you, Job. But no, God simply waited and waited until finally he answers Job. And he said, Job, you just got to trust that I'm in charge here. I mean, I made the world. I made the animals. You can't do that. I mean, how many stars have you put into the sky, Job? And so if you can't calm the storm, you're just going to have to let me do it. And I'll hold you close and I'll protect you while you're in the middle of it. I'll calm you, my child. And guys, there may have been times in your life where you challenged God or you were angry with him for allowing certain things to happen in your life. And I want you to know this morning that God's big enough, big enough to handle your questions. But we'd better realize who we're talking to if we're being disrespectful and irreverent. And the truth is, if we've thrown a temper tantrum, we need to apologize and repent to a loving God, even though we don't understand what he's up to necessarily. So Job responded after God said that. And he said, I spoke. He just kind of humbled him, and he's like, okay, I got you, big guy. And he he says, I spoke of things I didn't understand. When I was talking there, it it was things too wonderful for me to know. And in Job 42, verse 5, he says this, I had only heard about you before, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. I take it back. He said, I take back everything I said, 
and I sit in dust and ashes, and I show my repentance. Guys, Job began the book by saying he was righteous. But when he comes face to face with God, he realizes that he needs to repent as well. <coughs> Excuse me. He doesn't have all the answers. And he just had to trust in the sovereignty and the character of God. We have to do the same. Sometimes in life, we just have to trust in the sovereignty and the character of God. And so as we close here, we, we also see that not only was God patient with him, but God was generous with Job, as we're going to see. Look at chapter 42 in verse 10. Job took the attention off of himself and he begins to pray for his friends. And it says, when Job prayed for his friends, what happened? The Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as he had had before. Now listen, there's still the healing process. There, there's still the scar. But over time, God blessed Job and he gave him twice as much. And in verse 11 of chapter 42, it says, Then all his brothers, his sisters, his former friends came and they feasted with him in his home. And they consoled him and they comforted him because of all the trials that the Lord had brought against him. And each of them brought him a gift of money and a gold ring. And so the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe you had a rough first half of life. Maybe you're not even there yet. But it's encouraging to know that how, no matter how rough it's been so far, God can make the second half even better. And so, <coughs> excuse me, there's four lessons that I want to give us just real quickly here. I know we're almost done, but four take-home applications as you walk out the door that you can take to work with you tomorrow morning from this story. The first one is this. What are some things we can learn from this story? The first one's this. Listen, being good does not exempt us from tragedy, so don't expect it. Being good does not exempt us from tragedy, so don't expect it. God is very clear in the scriptures that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. He, he causes the sun to rise on the good and the evil. You know the laws of nature uh, is, are the same for the believer as for the non-believer? I mean, you and I are just as vulnerable to theft, disease, injury, and death as anybody else. I mean, imagine what would happen if the moment you were saved... The moment of salvation, God gave us this special protection to where we were exempt from disease. Our car never broke down. Our bank accounts always stayed balanced. We, we, we never got robbed. Our kids never got into trouble. Our favorite teams always won. Well, what would happen? Well, everybody would become a Christian, right? I mean, everybody would be in. Not out of devotion to Jesus, but out of selfish motives. But Jesus was very clear and he told us, in this world, you're going to have some trouble. You just will. Second thing is this. God's not the author of most suffering, so don't blame him. God is not the author of most suffering, so don't blame him. So when we, read through, we went through this story this morning and you were sitting there, let me just ask you, who do you, who do you blame for Job's problems? You just all heard the story. Who do you blame? Whose fault was it? I mean, we could simply say that it was an act of nature. It was a windstorm and some lightning. Or we could go a little deeper and we can say it was evil people. It was the Chaldeans and the Sabians who attacked. Or 
we could say that it was Satan. He, his evil overflowed into Job's life. Or are we willing to even say that God permitted it? I mean, how do we explain suffering when life falls apart? Guys, most of the time, rather than blaming God and getting angry with Him, we ought to say, it's the hand of Satan. It's the hand of Satan. Now listen, there are times when God disciplines those He loves. He's clear about that in the Scriptures. But let's not forget that Satan is the one who introduced sin into the world. He is the author of disease. He is the one who delights in wickedness. He enjoys causing people pain, not God. Jesus said the last enemy to be defeated would be death. And I know death is ugly. It is. So, so when children are born to drug-addicted parents or innocent bystanders get killed in a shooting or a bomb goes off where innocent people suffer and die, listen, please don't blame God. Don't blame God. There is a lot going on in the world that God did not originally ordain and it saddens Him because we live in a world that's affected by sin. That's just the truth. Third thing is this. Suffering isn't easy to explain, so don't always try. Suffering's not always easy to explain, so don't always try. You know, if you ask most Christians which book of the Bible talks most about suffering, most people would answer Job. Suffering of Job. But then if you ask the follow-up question and you ask them what lesson is taught in that book of Job about suffering, you'd be hard-pressed to get an answer. Most people couldn't answer that one. You look in the book of James and it says God allows, allows suffering to grow us up, to help us grow spiritually, to mature. But then why do some very mature Christians have you know just a whole bunch of problems while it seems that these very shallow Christians seem to go through life on cruise control. We don't get it. It doesn't make sense. But listen, please hear me. God rarely fills out the why section on the questionnaire that we submit to Him when trouble comes our way. When trouble comes our way, very seldom does God give us the why up front. The Scriptures speak of the mystery of God's will. And so rather than giving us an explanation we're not sure of, most of the time, you know, we're just better off saying to people, I don't know. I don't know why this happened. But I'm still, listen, going to trust in God who is a loving Heavenly Father. Last one is this. Genuine faith doesn't demand immediate answers, so don't give up. Real, true, genuine faith doesn't demand immediate answers, so, so let's not give up. Job said, listen, even though he slays me, even though he slay me, I will still trust in him. Wow. Can you say that? Guys, one of the most important lessons that we can learn from Job is that even though we don't understand why God is permitting something to happen in our lives, even though it doesn't make sense to us, even though we don't see any possible good that could potentially come out of this, that we still put our trust in God. That we still believe that He loves us. That we still believe that Jesus died for us. That we still believe that He is going to make all things right one day. 
that we still believe that there's a heaven, that we still believe that all things work together for the good of those who love him. And in closing, I'll just say this. If we want to talk about injustice, if you've heard the story this morning, you're like, man, I'm ticked off at God. I don't like that at all. That's not fair. If we want to talk about injustice, about not understanding suffering, then let's take a look at the cross. Jesus didn't deserve to suffer. The disciples couldn't make sense of it. Satan loved it. The, the angels were probably horrified because of it. Nobody understood it. But then three days later, everybody found out that you can't keep a God-man down. The tomb was empty, and they still could not put all the pieces of the puzzle together. But looking back over time, we've come to realize that God took what happened on that cross and guess what? He's used it for good, hasn't he? He's used it for good. He took the worst that Satan could do and he turned it into an instrument of salvation. And listen, when you and I are standing at the cross, I get it. It's difficult to see the empty tomb. I know. So all we can say, all we can say is, God, not my will be done, but yours. Going through a tough time right now, God, but I don't understand exactly what you're doing and the reason behind all this all, but it doesn't matter. I trust that you're a loving Heavenly Father, and whatever your will is, is what I want, not mine. Let me close with, in verse 16 of Job 42, it finishes up the story by just saying this. Job lived to be 140, or Job, sorry, Job lived 140 years after that, living to see four generations of his children and grandchildren. And then he died, an old man who had lived a long, full life. And we're confident today that Job is rejoicing in heaven. Michael W. Smith wrote a song that says this, God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, when you can't see his plan, then just trust his heart. Trust his heart. Let's pray together as the band comes up. Father, that's my prayer for each person sitting in this room. That when we can't really see what's going on, that we would trust you enough to trust your heart. That you really have what's best for us in, in your heart and your mind. And so God, as we've learned today that when suffering comes our way, and it will, when difficult and hard times uh, come our way, they will, help us not to lose heart and give up and, and turn on our faith. God, help us to trust in you, that you're God, and you've got this, and you're bigger than anything that we're gonna go through tomorrow, this week, or the rest of our lives. So help us just to walk hand in hand with you, and let you lead us through the fire again. You've proven so faithful in the past, and we know you'll prove faithful in the future. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. What an amazing challenge from God's Word for all of us. We hope you start putting everything you've learned in this session into practice. Be sure to subscribe to the 3SC Podcast so you'll never miss any new content. Thanks for listening.